Welcome. If this is your first time, I'm glad you could be here. My name is David. I am one of two pastors here that are teaching. Ruben Barbosa over here, my brother, will be teaching in the next service, in our Spanish service. As you got to experience um, as part of our worship, we do speak two languages in this place. Um, I imagine there's probably some other languages represented, but the ones that you'll hear uh, is English and Spanish. Uh, but there really is only one family here. Um, and as you get more involved in what is Hope Church, you'll find that you get to know more people whose first language is not English. Praise the Lord for that, because what we're finding is that God has made us to be one family, and we can be one family because of the one hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, we are continuing uh, through a study of the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Uh, throughout this letter has been the theme of rejoicing, and so our theme has been, I will rejoice. And we've got to see that come up in multiple places, certainly in this chapter that we've been in, in chapter three, um, it began with, I will rejoice, or not I will rejoice, but a call to rejoice in the Lord um, as a protection against false teaching. And, and, and what we saw last week is Paul, as he, was, as he was cautioning the Philippians against these false teachers that are there, um, that, that would steer them away from what they have through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the guards against that that he gave him was to rejoice in the Lord. And, and we saw just kind of as Paul um, then gave testimony of, of his own life and how he had so much uh, that he could put his own trust in outside of what we have in Jesus Christ, but that he call, considers all of that loss. And then he gets into... Um, Instead, how much he values what is in the cross. And, and, and he just, it's almost like he loses the sense of his audience and he's just wrapped up in Christ and everything that he has in Christ. Um, and then we reach the point that we're gonna be getting into this morning. In verse 12 in chapter three, um, if you will uh, join me there, let's read. Verse 12 uh, chapter three of Philippians, he says, not that I have already obtained this, all that he is, is, has spoken about that we covered last week, um, or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of or the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that this letter Paul wrote some 2,000 years ago uh, to, to address the needs of a church in Philippi, God, by the power of your spirit, you have, you have now made this available to us as something that is relevant, and, and we know that your spirit working through your word can teach us what you have for our church, for us as a body, for us as individuals. So God, I pray that you would open our eyes to your truth and that you would speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he's, he's continuing to steer them away from false teachers, and he mentions them again in here. And he's steering them away from that towards the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I, as I'm looking through this, one of the things that, that, that comes to mind is, what is the reality of the hope of Jesus Christ in my own life? Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, Monday morning, and whatever it is that you're going to be doing, are you going to school, are you, are you going to work, are you taking care of your family, whatever it is that, that then is going to occupy your attention and time, is there a reality in your life of living in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Is that a, a practical and real part of your life? And, and how do I make that more a part of my life? I, I know... We, we have people from all different walks here. We, we might have people here uh, this morning that are, that are still investigating who this Jesus is. You haven't put your faith in Jesus because you're still trying to figure out what this Christianity thing is about. And pray, praise the Lord that you're here. And can I encourage you that what we're talking about is a hope that can't be found in the world. A hope that that's doesn't just extend to our lifetime here, but extends to eternity. Or we might have people here that are new in their faith, and, and your eyes have been opened to who Jesus is, and, and in joy you have accepted him as your Savior, and you're saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus with my life, but there's still just so much in life. And, and apart from just knowing Jesus uh, navigating this life and actually living now in the hope and having any practical application of the hope in Jesus Christ in, in my life is still something you're trying to figure out. Or maybe you're here and, and you've been walking with the Lord a long time and when you wake up tomorrow morning, your first thing is gonna be to commune with Jesus, to spend a little time with Jesus because you have a depth of relationship with Jesus and, and, and you live every day seeing it through the eyes of, of, of a person who's submitted to the Lord and Savior who's working actively in your life and in those around you. And there's, there's hope in everything, no matter what circumstance. Praise the Lord that you're there. Uh, we need to learn from you. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But wherever we're at, I think in this passage, we can learn something from Paul, who is passionately in love with everything that God has for him, especially in the person of Jesus Christ. And I, there's three things I want to pull out of this passage that I think we can learn from Paul as we're looking at how do we apply practically the hope of Jesus Christ in our life. So he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, 
but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. What, what is the this? Obtain this, to make it. It's, it's everything that Paul's been talking about up to this. I don't, I don't have slides for these verses, but, but right before this, he was saying, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. That's part of the it. It's knowing Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. It's to gain Christ in my life and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, and that which comes, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, to have the fullness of the righteousness that is from God, not something that I have made on my own by my own efforts, that I may know him. That's part of the it, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fullness of what I have in Christ, even to share in his sufferings, to become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, a new life that God has for me in Christ. He's saying, I want the fullness of that. You can see how he's just passionately pressing into, I want everything. It's almost like he doesn't have an audience anymore. He's just focused on Christ and everything that he wants out of Christ. And then it's like he kind of realizes, oh, wait, people are listening. I need to explain myself a little. And he says, not that I've already obtained this and I'm not already perfect, but what he's straining for is perfection. It's the perfection that we ultimately have in Christ. And in verse 13, he says, brothers, which that's like in Spanish when you say hermanos, it's brothers and sisters. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the prize, the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus? It's, it's everything we've been talking about. It's, it's what we have in Jesus, in Christ. And it's an upward call. I don't know what the full meaning of it being an upward call or if there's any special meaning to that, but I can tell you that that when we're progressing in our faith and we're growing towards what God has for us in Christ Jesus, it's always upward. That means that when my life is, is, seems like it's going downward, maybe I lost my job, maybe I failed again in, in that sin that I just can't break free from, and, or, or maybe I'm just struggling with one of my kids or whatever it is that we say, oh, now life is going downward in Christ Jesus all things are working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to person. So, so it is always upward progress within Christ Jesus and the hope that we have in Christ is always upward. Doesn't matter where I'm at in life. He is working in my life right there to accomplish this hope that Paul has that he's so eager to have the fullness of in Christ. to attain as much as he can. And so the first point out of here, the practical way that we can live and have the living hope of Jesus Christ something in our lives is to let go and press on. To let go of the past. Whatever we're holding on to in the past and to press on to what we have in Jesus Christ. 
What was Paul letting go of? What was he intentionally trying to forget, to put out of his mind, to not let be what he, he dwe- was dwelling on every day, but instead to set his mind on what he had in Christ Jesus? What were those things? Well, he described them in the beginning of, of chapter three when he was, he was saying, yes, I have all of this to boast in in this world and my, my pedigree, having been uh, circumcised on the eighth day, which by the way, last week, I think I said eighth year. No, it's, it's eighth day. Um, circumcised on the, on the eighth day and, and grown, grown up at, as a Pharisee, as a religious person, as a religious leader, everything that, that anyone could boast about in the life, he says, I can boast more, my own holiness, my own righteousness. He says, I count that as nothing. That, that's the things of the past that he's letting go, his own accomplishments, anything that, that he would be proud of in himself, saying, I'm, I'm letting go of that. I'm forgetting that because the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. What else? Well, he also mentioned in, in there, uh, his, as far as persecuting the church, zealous. You know, after he wrote this letter and after he was released from prison, he wrote a letter to Timothy. And in that letter, he talks about how he's the worst of sinners. Why? He connects that to, as one who persecuted the church, I consider myself the worst of sinners. But God's grace, he says, he meets that, that, that past that, that thing that he wants to forget, he meets it with God's grace and sees God's purpose and grace in calling him as an example to be the one to carry the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. While he looks in the back, there's, there's guilt, there's shame. But that is covered by the grace of Christ. What else? We saw earlier in, in Philippians when he was just talking about his present circumstances and, and how they're in, you know, he's imprisoned in Rome and he had been in prison for two years in Caesarea. And, and there's so many things that he could be just enwrapped in self-pity, that, that he could just be wrapped up in bitterness to, to injustice, But what does he do? He sees all of his circumstances as being for the Lord. And he sees in it multiple reasons to rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, I'm setting these things aside. Anything that's my own accomplishment, anything that is shame and guilt, anything that is hurt, I'm forgetting all that and I'm pressing on to what I have in Jesus Christ. My question for myself and for us this morning is what are we holding on to? from the past. What things are we finding difficult to let go of? Now something that God has to show us. It's not something someone can say, oh, you need to let go of that. Well, that's not effective. But when the Spirit of God in our life convicts us of something, you're holding on to that. I paid for that on the cross. You're holding on to that. 
That, that's glory in yourself. That's nothing compared to the glory that you have in me because you're my child. I have made you my own. Why are you holding on to that? That's not a glory you want. You want the glory that's found in Christ. Any of the things that we're holding on to, we need to let go of and press on to what we have in Christ. That's practically tomorrow morning, waking up in the morning. What am I holding on to? that I need to let go of. And then pressing on, straining towards, straining towards. He, he uses this, this athlete-type metaphor, straining towards what, what we have in Christ. And, and it's not like a prize that, that only one person is gonna win. He's like, we're in a contest here to get to the prize. No, no, this is a prize that's already been set in Christ, and it's already, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and he is accomplishing in us completion to that end, but what Paul is saying is, what's there is so much greater than what I'm coming from, that I am straining to have as much of it as I can, straining for what we have in Christ, and so when I wake up in the morning, am I willing to put the past behind? Turn with me to uh, Lamentations chapter three. Lamentations, people go, how can you find hope and encouragement in Lamentations? This is, um, it's all just doom and sadness. And, but you know, that's, that's part of what's in our life. See, I gave myself a... And we see in here in the midst of hardship, a statement that we can echo every morning. Lamentations chapter three in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. What happened yesterday? Well, how did I fail yesterday? How am I so proud of myself from yesterday? Come the morning, I can put all that behind. Forget that. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Not what I have back here, but what lies ahead of me is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him not what's behind me, not what's around me. I will hope in the Lord. Let go and press on. Maybe I don't feel it. Maybe, maybe I, I'm still in a place where I, I, I just don't get it. This hope that's in Jesus Christ that you're setting that, you know, maybe I know the Lord, but it's just difficult in the midst of my circumstance. If I'm going to just be real, that this is a difficult walk to do. What does he say here? In Philippians, uh, back in chapter three, in verse 15, continuing, he says, let those who are mature think this way. This way that, that, that I'm forgetting what's behind and I'm setting my mind and I'm pressing towards the things that are in Christ. And if, you, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. 
Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So, so Paul's kind of taking a step back from, from Paul, who's all in 110%, and he's saying, okay, here's the reality. We're all in a different place, and we're all growing in this. And first he's saying, have a mindset and think this way. If you're mature in Christ, if you know Christ, and, and, you've, and, and you're past just the, the basics of getting to know what you have in Christ, you need to have this mindset. Think this way, that constantly you are putting behind you the things uh, that are of this world, the things that are of now, things that are your accomplishments, things that are your shame, all of that. Put it behind. Have this mindset that that's what you're doing. Maybe you don't feel it, but have that mindset to be putting these things aside. Think this way. But it's difficult. Because what's happening here? When I come to the Lord, what am I coming out of? I'm coming out of darkness. I'm coming out of a, a situation where I can't see the light of the glory of the grace of Jesus. And, and usually that experience of coming to Christ is not to see fully everything that I have in Christ. It's just to see the beginning that Christ died for my sin, that there is hope in Jesus Christ. The truth that, that I don't have to earn my way to heaven, in fact, that I can't earn my way to heaven because I am, from the beginning, a sinful person. But then to see that Jesus Christ paid for my sin on the cross, and now through faith in Jesus Christ, now I can have hope for eternal life. And, and that beginning of coming to know Jesus Christ, I still am surrounded by the darkness of this world and, and deception and confusion, and I can't see necessarily what's out there. So how do I break out of this darkness and confusion and, and actually get to where I can see more clearly what I have in Jesus Christ? Well, there's a, there's a lot to that, but he gives us something here that I think is practical and helpful for us, no matter where we're at. He says in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Second point, practical ways that we can walk in the living hope of Jesus Christ is to imitate good examples. Who are those that you know around you, that, that you see in them? Not that they're a good person. There's lots of good people in the world by our definition of good, but, but who do you see around you that you see them treasuring Christ, that you see them in the midst of a difficult situation um, putting behind them those things and actually finding reason to rejoice in Christ? Who do you have around you that you see that in? And maybe they're able to do that in an area of life that you're not able to do that. And so in that area, look to them. Now, nobody's perfect. Notice I said, look to good examples. Even Paul says, I'm not perfect. And so we're looking for good examples. And, and in that, as we're navigating through this world and we're trying to figure out, how, how do I get to know better experientially what I have in Christ? Well, look around me and find people who exhibit those qualities in their life and imitate them, see them. My youngest son, Charlie, I told him I'd talk about him this morning. He's, he's in, the, in the, 
the youth area. Um, boy, God made him with an ability to dance. It's just, it's, it's something I don't have, but, but God put it in him, and you start music, and he doesn't even know that he's dancing. In fact, he got upset at us once because he was trying to build Legos, and we kept, like, slowly turning up the music, and he'd start to wiggle an elbow and wiggle a knee, and then he pretty soon he's standing up. He's like, and then he got mad at us because I'm trying to build Legos here, and you're... He just is built into him to dance. And when he dances, there's joy in that dance. He loves to dance and move. If I tried to just explain, okay, I want to be like Charlie, here's what you need to do. You need to wiggle an elbow. If this isn't working, I'm not feeling the joy. Two elbows. Now I'm doing the chicken dance. That's not working. Don't feel the joy. How do you get to dance like Charlie? You watch Charlie. You start to imitate Charlie. You're not feeling joy of it, but the more you do it, and you're just in there with Charlie with the music going, and you're doing what he does, you start to feel the joy and the reality of what's there in Charlie. That's that's what it is, and largely that Paul's talking about here. You can't see how to get there, but you can see people around you who are there. They're enjoying relationship with Christ that's special. Start to imitate them. Do what they do. And then over time, you start to actually get the experience and start to understand, oh, that's what this is about. When they react to a situation a certain way, when they um, come out of uh, hardship in a certain way, and you look at how did they react, what did they say, what did they do, and start to imitate that and see how God grows you to understanding Imitate good examples. All right, continuing in verse 18 through 19. He's gonna warn them of bad examples. We don't wanna imitate bad examples. We don't wanna focus and, 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 and join in with bad examples. And that's what he's gonna talk about here. He says uh, in verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I think he's talking still about the same group uh, that was at the beginning, and because of that, I think this is, these are Judaizers, those who are coming in, and, and they most likely very religious, very conservative. Uh, there, there's a reason why they're able to steer people away from the cross because it looks like it's, it's holy and good. And, and, but they're steering people away from the cross. They're saying, here, no, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow these, these things that you eat and don't eat. You need to follow the Sabbath in this way. You need to do all of these things. And, and there must have been a great many of them. Um, as he says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They're enemies of the cross because they're leading people away from the life that they have through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Their end is destruction. That's where they're headed. It looks good. And, and around us, we don't have Judaizers, but we do have a lot of causes that look good. 
a lot of things that seem righteous in what they are, but if it's not taking you to the cross of Christ, then its end is destruction. Their God is their belly. This really is the Judaizers are talking about. That would be you know, how much they say you need to eat this or not eat that. Then, you know, what diet you have is, has become their God. And they glory in their shame. Paul considered all of the glory that he had accomplished his own shame. And it's that same idea. They glory in all that they have created a righteousness of their own, which is ultimately their shame, with minds set on earthly things. There's the issue. Their minds are all on what's here and now. Paul's saying your mind needs to be on the hope that you have in Jesus Christ that goes to the future. And so he contrasts. He says, but our citizenship isn't here. It's in heaven. And he's, and he's uh, leveraging um, something with the Philippians uh, in using the word citizenship because they're very proud of their citizenship uh, in Philippi. Uh, there was a deciding battle for the, Roman, for the Roman Empire that was won in Philippi, and so Philippi became a Roman colony, and the citizens of Philippi, Roman citizens, and all the rights and privileges and everything that they had was unique to Philippi from other surrounding areas, and they were very proud of that. And so he's, he's taking that and saying our citizenship, every right and privilege and everything that we have is not what's in this world. It's in what we have in Christ that's in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from, from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's gonna return. And, and this body that we have now, this is nothing compared to the body that he is going to give us, a transformed body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So on that day when the trumpet sounds and we are given a new body, that's what my hope is in. Church, how much do we put stock into the body that we have? And I need this body to live. How much of my hope is caught up in this body? Or do I have a mindset that's constantly realizing the truth that ultimately this body is gonna be replaced? And there's a new body. It's like Jesus' body that I'm gonna have. <laughs> this is a lowly body. Why is my hope in what I can accomplish with this body when I know the truth? Do you know that truth? How much hope do we put in this body? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 51. Here's the event when we get a new body. It says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This is a popular verse to put on the wall of the nursery in your church. Um, but it's not talking about Babies sleeping or babies being changed um, is talking about we shall not all see death. But the truth is, when Christ comes, those who are alive and those who have already died, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, from the trumpet will sound, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. 
When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the hope is. It's not in this body now. When I die, I'm gonna be with, in, in spirit with the Lord. And then when this event happens, or maybe there won't be a day that I die. Maybe the Lord will come before then and I'll be among those uh, that don't see death, that don't sleep, but still among those who are changed because the Lord has a new body for me. And that's where my hope is. It's not in this body that I have now. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Can you put up that image of heaven? Is this your idea of heaven? That how well do you know what heaven's going to be like? This is kind of what we get. You got some gates up there, fluffy clouds. You get all these jokes of people talking about what's golf going to be like in heaven. I can't find the ball. It's just all puffy white clouds. And it's kind of an emptiness. And maybe there's harps going. And that's boring. That's not what heaven's going to be. But, but, but because we don't see, and we can't see, because we're, we're blinded here, and we don't see the glory of what we're going to have through Jesus Christ, but it is going to put what we have now to shame. It's going gonna, it's gonna to show us how how very little we have now. The, just the, the body, our lowly body then replaced with a body like Christ is just a tiny piece of it. But, but what, we know, what do we know about what's in heaven? We talked about in Ephesians that every spiritual blessing we have in heaven, there's, there's already blessings set aside. Jesus said in John 14, and I'm, I go to prepare a place for you. There's a place for us in heaven. It's not fluffy white clouds. It, there's a real place. We know there's streams in heaven. The tree of life is in heaven. And we think about all the great things that, that we want to experience and do here on earth. You know, I want to see one of the wonders of the world. You get to see one of the wonders of heaven when you go there and you get to see the tree of life. That, that puts any wonder that I might see here to, to shame. It's like, big deal. I'm going to go see the tree of life one day. And I know it. It's where my hope is set. The throne of God is in heaven. That's where Jesus is right now. It's where Jesus, I'm going to see him face to face. There is just a wealth in heaven that I don't fully understand, but it's there. And, and it's so much greater than anything I can possibly experience here and now. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 2, in this context, Paul, Paul is dealing with some false teachers uh, that, are, that are claiming all of these things, and, and he doesn't like to boast, and so he, he talks about himself in the third person here. He, there's many places in the scripture where he talks about having visions and, and even coming to Philippi. There, there was a vision, um, and, and, but, but this one was special. And this was 14 years back from the time uh, 2 Corinthians was written, so it puts it in the time 
between, you know, Paul, the road to Damascus, and, and ultimately was sent back to Tarsus, and then he's kind of there. And then later on, we see that, that, that Paul um, was commissioned by the Holy Spirit and sent out. And sometime in that time period, this was something that God gave him as an experience that he doesn't fully understand himself, but he says in verse two, I know a man, speaking of himself in the third person, in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. What's the third heaven? Is the heaven in the Bible, it just means expanse. The first heaven um, is what they considered the atmosphere, what we have around us. Uh, and then the second heaven would be where the stars and the sun and the moon, outer, what we call outer space would be the second heaven. And the third heaven is where God's where God is. And we don't see that. And so he said, I'm caught up into the third heaven where God is. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Um, I think there's not two different things going on here. If we look in Revelation, the tree of life is, is said to be in paradise. The tree of life is said to be in heaven. I think it's, it's the same place. Um, he said, and I heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. You know, he doesn't say anything more than that. But Paul was there in body or in spirit. Was the spirit separated from his body and he got to go experience? The, was he bodily taken there? It really doesn't matter. He says, I don't know. But, but it was real and it was true. And, it, and God gave him. Why did God give him this? I, I don't know. Maybe it was so that Paul would be prepared with, with the immensity of the hope of what he had in front of him as he was gonna face a life of just suffering for the cross of Christ in a way that few others would. Maybe God was just giving him that so that he wouldn't be like us, that, that really there's so much that we don't see and we don't understand, but he would, he would know it. And then, and then to be told things that not only would it not be permissible for man to say, but, but he just, you wouldn't be able to express it humanly, which tells me just this inkling of how amazing it's gonna be there, how we can't possibly understand the extent of amazing it's gonna be there in heaven. But Paul in that experience, having had that experience before he wrote the book of Philippians, what is he looking forward to? He saw heaven. He saw all of that, that we're gonna be so excited, where Christ is preparing a place for us, where, where all of that eternal state that God is designing for us to just uh, have unending joy in his presence and, and to have all of that, what is it that Paul is looking forward to the most? Look with me. A little further back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Starting in verse 9. As for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, there's that word again, perfect. 
that I'm not perfect yet, but he has seen the perfect. And his, I'm sure when he's writing this, his mind is all caught up in that experience that he had had. When the perfect comes, the partial, that's what we have now. The partial will pass away. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's trying to give us an analogy of this difference of right now we're like children. We don't, we don't get it. The fullness of what we'll have. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Mirrors back then were worse than mirrors now. They're typically made out of metal, copper, or bronze, and distorted in different colors, and you didn't see things as they really were. That's, that's what we have as a view of heaven right now. At its best, is as seeing it in a mirror dimly. But then, what part of heaven is important to him? It's face to face with Jesus. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. All that glory that's there to be seen is nothing compared to the face-to-face experience with Jesus our Lord. So as I'm looking at trying to know, that's the last point, practical point. Do I know the hope that I have? Do I know it? Am I seeing at all what is ahead of me? in the hope of of glory with Christ. The best thing that I can know now that will be there in heaven is the relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But it helps to know as much as you can about what we can expect there in heaven. But we need to know our Lord and Savior more and more. And that was what we saw Paul say in this chapter. Nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. So tomorrow morning, when we wake up in the morning, And we want to live practically a life that's beginning to enjoy the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to live and grow in the hope of Jesus Christ. I don't want to just be caught up in this world. I want to enjoy as much of what I have to hope for now as I can. And the reality is we can begin to enjoy what we have in Jesus Christ And it's primarily in the relationship we have in the person of Jesus Christ. How important is it that we open this book? Or if we have never done that before, that we learn how to open this book? If there's barriers in our life that keep us from opening this book, that we open this book? How important is it that we have quiet time with the Lord where we just, in quietness, lift up all the concerns of the day? If you've never done that or if it's been a long time since you've done that, can I encourage you this week to find a time? Maybe schedule it now. If you can put it on your calendar where it's a scheduled meeting. You gotta be at it. What more important meeting could there be than meeting with your Lord and Savior? 
Meetings on the calendar, you gotta meet that. Other things put aside, okay, I'm meeting with the Lord. And in that meeting, in prayer, lay out everything that's concerning you in your life. Just give it to him. Lay it out. Can you do that this week? Because what are you doing? You're pursuing relationship with our Lord and Savior, who is our hope. Suddenly, the things that, that I've laid out in front of him have less importance in my life. They're, they're less meaningful in my life. There's some things there that I ultimately say, oh, that's something I can just forget. It's from the past. And I can press on to the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. This last song, I love this song. I think they wrote this song so that Hope Church would have a song that's theirs, right? My living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Let's sing this song together. Praise the Lord. God, you are a living hope. King Jesus, as you sit now on your throne in the place of our hope, you see around you what we don't see. God, put in our hearts a hope for that place where we're going to see you face to face, a hope that will affect every situation in our lives, that will put anything that this world places as a burden on us, that, that this world puts as something that's, that's of great importance to shame, God, because nothing in this world is as great as the hope that we have in you. Help us, God, to share that for us to just be on fire for you, God, that we would want to share the hope that we have with those around us who don't know you, who don't have the living hope of Jesus Christ. God, it's in your holy name, Jesus, precious and holy name that we pray and are privileged to pray, amen.